It happens to every source, every class of people. The society is so afraid of it. The fact that you're left totally ignorant of what could happen, I think is worse because and when it does happen, you just don't know what to do. And like, it's so personal, you just don't want to say it either. You're just so trapped. If anyone thinks that because it happened so long ago, and because you're an adult now, because of the child that happened and the pain is gone with the child, it's not because it's always there as an adult. You just have to learn to cope. And only counselling can help you cope with the pain. Two victims of child sexual abuse, now aged 15 and 21. I just thought everybody did it, you know. I didn't think it was something out of the ordinary. Well, that started when I was three and went on till I was nine or ten. Um, yeah, as far as I know, he did it to... He did it to my cousins, like his own grandchildren. Um, he did it to my brother. He did it to kids that just lived around. Any kid that he found and thought, <clears throat> this kid is kind of vulnerable or something, I could do it to this kid and get away with it. Uh, but he, yeah, he used to say he was teaching me, and this is what men like and this is what they don't like. But at the same time, he was just getting his thrills or whatever. And like, it was all just to make me feel there's no point in telling. I mean, if every adult knows anyway, I mean, I just seem like some a misfit or something. Um, he used to come home from the pubs and nights and just take me out of bed and bend me over a chair and start whipping me with his belt or for some reason. Like, and I was just fast asleep. I didn't know what I'd done. And then he'd start screaming all this abuse at me. Like, um, this is because you're a bad girl. You're you're evil. You're the devil's daughter. And I've got, still got scars on my back because of what he did. And um, he sexually abused me then. And just as long as I was in his presence, it would just keep happening and happening. His wife uh, knew what was going on the whole time. Like she used to accuse me of trying to steal her husband away from her. Like she used to say I was. Um, a pervert and I was, when I grew up I was going to be a whore and everything. She didn't try to help me. All she did was just make it out to be my, my fault as well. I felt more strongly about it when it was my brother. Um, Like he tried to be taking him away and I twisted so that he'd take me instead of my brother. At the age of 19 to 20, just 20, I told a woman a very good friend of mine, I told, and she brought me for counselling. It was happening every time I went visiting my relatives. So it really happened from the age of two to ten. And how I know that is because I get a release at ten of freedom, even though it's not freedom because I'm still trapped in what they've done to me. The second victim is in the early stages of treatment. In looking back on the years of abuse, her release marks the end of her abuse. There was three uncles who abused me, my grandfather's brother, a school teacher. There was a woman involved. I haven't come that far to know who it was. They dressed me as an adult, as though I was an adult having sex. They, they mauled, they kissed. They touched part of me that I wasn't aware that this was what my body was for as an adult, what's to be used for as an adult when you get older. 
and they just taught me so much and they just had no feelings at all. In therapy she must remember a part of her life which she had buried. With these I just began to cope really hard and then one final thing came up which not many people would even think this happened but it does. Well, my uncles got fed up trying every different way, every different thing. They they wanted this, they had this ego thing to do more because they're so sick. They have sick minds. So they brought a dog. And they got the dog to abuse me. So how, how can you say that you can't be hurt after all that? She recalls how this made her feel about herself at the time. Your mind just goes haywire. Your body feels sh- rubbish. They had a threat over me, which was, we'll kill your mother if, we, if you tell. And when I started to get to an age of around seven, I was going to tell, but they threatened me with knives. They threatened me with hot water. They just had this powerful control over you, which you're too scared to tell. I felt guilty because... Because I couldn't tell anyone. Because I could just keep on letting it happen. But if you put fear in somebody, no matter what type of fear it is, you just won't say anything. I felt dirty. I felt as I was making these do this to me. And that's what you do as a child. But it never feel guilty ever again because I know now it's not my fault. Um, when I joined the Rape Crisis Centre in 1980, uh, at that stage, uh, we as, as a group and practically everybody else, everywhere else worldwide, was unaware of the enormous problem of child sexual abuse. And it seemed that people who had been raped as adults had had a history of abuse from early childhood. And um, that's suggested to us that if they didn't solve their early problems, they would continue to have them. Barbara Egan worked with the Rape Crisis Centre until 1987. She is a psychotherapist who has worked extensively in treating people for the psychological effects of child sexual abuse. Um, I think um, perhaps the deepest um, effect of of child sexual abuse on on the victim is that uh, he or she um, takes in a very negative view of themselves and constantly abusing critical of themselves are continuously seeking for the right way to do something. And they would do more than anybody I've ever met would do, but still think it's not enough. And I think this also harks back to their childhood experience when, in a sense, they were looking for an answer. They were trying to find the right way to to be good enough to have this not happen to them anymore. And there was no answer, because children can't find an answer to these enormous problems imposed on them by others. It happens silently in the dark, which is completely unnatural for such a terrifying event. It may be happening with someone whom you love, um, like a father or a brother, and and whose actions are are totally bewildering to you. You don't know what to say. You, You want to say, I don't like this. Do you still love me? Can I say no? But you can say nothing at all. At the age of 14, when most of my friends were wearing a bra, I wasn't because I wasn't getting developed. Physically, I 
I was just straight down, no hips, no chest. Because I didn't want to grow into a woman because the child in me just wanted me to help her then. But I couldn't, I didn't know. But since I've been doing my counselling, I'm developing, which is amazing. So now with me grown and with me helping the child, the child is grown within me. And when she grows with me, I'll grow. You can't see the hurt you're feeling, you know? You just want to see the pain. So then you hurt yourself. But that's not in your mind when you're doing it. Like when you're actually doing it, you're just thinking of hurting yourself or killing yourself or something like that. You trust this person, like they're being nice to you. And then they turn around and do something that's not nice. It just totally confuses the child. And it ruins the whole idea of trust because then the child doesn't know who they can trust. Like I can remember everything that happened. Like I was kind of half there, but uh, it wasn't like it was happening to me. And they would, in their heads, be gone. They, they wouldn't be there. It would only happen to the body that they hated. And so they would always be separating themselves from the body. And if the body pained or, or held memories which they didn't want to know about, they were expert at shutting them out. But n- never to the extent that uh, they, they could forget completely. Because a lot of people will express a very strong feeling that this little one was buried alive. Well, in counselling, you go in and you lie down and you do a breathing. Now, it's not hypnosis, it's nothing like that. You're still yourself. But your mind is allowing itself to, to see what you want to see, what's there. And then your body might start moving, but you don't stop it. You let it move because these are probably the positions that your abuser put you in. Basically, the child in you is coming out, and you allow it because it's the proper place. Um, the way in which a, a client will uh, relive what has happened is um, that um, they may they may work in a way which we, we describe as as um, they may abreact, which means they act out of the past. They connect with the feelings at a very deep emotional level, and they will um, maybe cry or. or plead for for mercy or something and what what happens first in this work is that they would gather an enormous amount of lost information uh, actual hard facts about what happened and they may realize that contrary to their expectation that they were raped once at the age of seven in fact um, abuse was an everyday uh, occurrence in childhood it's not that anything is coming at them from the outside but that all of these feelings are within and that if they express them, they will leave them. Rather, it's not that they're taking on something extra, that they're actually let, letting go of something. They they look for answers. They wonder why they never found any. So you would meet them again on this bewildered child plane. Um, hurt, loneliness, and maybe anger is one of the last things to come. And it is very painful, but I think... Um, with the encouragement of, of uh, a counsellor, that clients, as soon as they start, I think they begin to know that this is what they need to do. Well, I've been going to counselling and only <laughs> this place to me at the present is heaven because 
I've been living in a hell for so many years. I felt for the first time in the last years that I would be becoming a person. It's like a community, a community of people living, growing, understanding each other. So that's therapy in itself when you meet all them people. It makes you accept it. But you'll never be able to forgive, but at least you'll be able to accept what happened, know what happened, but at least it isn't happening now thanks to you telling. You know, you've made it stop. Now you're in control and you just have your whole life ahead of you, you know. I think I think now I've you know, I've kinda of got my head straight and like sex itself isn't wrong, you know. It's just when you're forced into it that's that's what's wrong. People can make enormous changes in at every level in their life with uh, close family, with friends, with workmates and not always be used and abused and feel hurt and feel invisible and left out and forgotten. I think one of the things they have to take on board is that to some extent uh, they have taught people to abuse them. Um, they, they learned that life was like that and they showed people that they have met in in every aspect of their life that in some way they will accept it that they will always be the one to work late and just own themselves and feel comfortable actually being there and saying I matter, I like me and I feel well and I'm happy at last When you're a child um, and you've, you are being abused, you live in a world of your own it's like a glass cage or so something covering you all the time. You don't want to let people into you. And lately I've been waking up in the mornings and I've been looking out my window and I've been seeing trees, I've been seeing the sky, I've been seeing birds, where before I never noticed them. I knew they were there, but I never noticed them. And I'm noticing that the world, it's there and you just have to make the best of it. I would have to say that the abusers I have worked with, their actions uh, can at times be so grotesque. In many cases, uh, rape is the least that has happened to somebody. They will choose someone who is young, vulnerable, lonely, confused. Um, they won't always have to be young because a young person who is all those things, unless he or she gets help, will remain feeling like that because people that I have worked with have found themselves still being abused into their 40s and 50s and don't know how to stop it happening. And some of, some of these would be people who have, at times, also abused others. The advice I'd give to people <coughs> who have been abused and cannot find the trust to tell anyone, the adults who, are supposed to, who you're supposed to look up to, who's supposed to make the world as it is, they controlled you. Don't let them control your life anymore because the pain you'll suffer for the rest of your life is not water. Have a life now because it goes on and on and on and they bring other tasks in. A child has to remember that they have a right to say no. You have a right to say no, a right not to be touched in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, a right not to 
do things that make you feel uncomfortable. And if anybody is putting you in a situation where you feel uncomfortable, in, in, you can ring Chiline and you can talk about that and you can check out whether this, in fact, is, is something that you ought to be worried about or not. Mankind owes to the child the best he has to give is the UN declaration which features on page one of the brochure produced by Childline. This is a voluntary organisation which generates its own funding. Rosemary Troy was until recently the coordinator of the service. Childline is a telephone counselling service for children in trouble and it's used by uh, all types of people. It's used by male and female, by children as young as seven and by adults. Something like 20% of all our calls last year were from adults. It's a free phone service. It's just 1,800 and This past month, we've had almost 1,000 calls a week. It's very important that people know that if they just keep on trying and, and try if they don't give up, that they will get through eventually. And that can be very important that the child uh, or the person calling us has somebody who will listen to them and who will be with them in a sympathetic way and allow them to, um, to talk about whatever it is that's on their minds. We know from our experience in Childline that, it's, that this kind of abuse is very widespread, so you're not on your own. But if possible, if there are people within the family that they can talk to, uh, then we would certainly encourage them to do it. We are a very confidential uh, service, and a child has perfect right to ring us anonymously. So the control is very much with the child. Childline gives an abuser reason for concern because the victim has someone to talk to about what's been happening. We would try to... Uh, get them to a stage when we could refer them to social services and to people who can um, help them to end the abuse. That would be the aim. We would not uh, want to maintain a child in an abusive situation. Paddy Wynne is a senior social worker with the Eastern Health Board and was working in North Dublin when he spoke to me. The Eastern Health Board has statutory powers to take action when a case of child sexual abuse is reported to them. The Eastern Health Board is divided into 10 community care areas, our area number 8, and uh, sexual abuse is coming very high in our area. It also uh, takes up uh, 38% of a social worker's time. And in order to deploy the staff uh, to the best advantage, it was decided at area level that a uh, sexual abuse coordinator would take a a fair amount of the workload off people. This post started, was set up approximately two years ago and the aim of it was to be involved in the coordination of all sexual abuse cases referred to the Eastern Health Board. This is a very big area with a large population and a very young population that from our director down to the ordinary social worker, everyone would have agreed that they needed somebody in a specialist post in order to guide them in how to deal with their child sexual abuse cases. That was Mary Trainer talking about the background to what would appear to be the only position of its kind within the health boards. It entails um, being involved from this, from the word go, from the minute we get our referral from whoever their source is, right up to attendance at the case conference, um, involved in the decision making around how the case will be managed and handled by the particular social worker, right up to the conclusion of whether the child will be sent for assessment to St Clair's unit in Temple Street um, and the case conference would include the multidisciplinary team uh, the public health nurse the AMO, the social worker for the area and myself and the aim of the case conference is to look at the facts 
um, make decisions, look up whether there are any concerns, immediate concerns or risks to the child, and then delegate different um, tasks for the different members of the team. Mary talked about the 1989 figures. Well, there were 101 cases of sexual abuse. Of them, 32 were confirmed cases of child sexual abuse. Um, well, I suppose if you look at this year's numbers, our numbers in this area have certainly risen, both in relation to physical abuse and sexual abuse of children of 16 years and under. So we actually have to take these cases and go out on them to the individual families. And because of the nature of our job, we have to investigate them. They cannot remain anonymous like they can in Childline. It's not an ideal set-up for a child to be called into the front parlour of our room our house and uh, be questioned by a guard and then uh, she's sent out and then her father is called in or her brother is called in and then he goes out and then the guard goes home and look at the havoc that's created. We sometimes come across cases of uh, long ongoing sexual abuse in a family maybe it's been going on for three four or five or six years maybe father and daughters the intervention of the guards can uh, have very disastrous material effects. It means that uh, possibly a good provider uh, has been taken out of circulation, he's lost his job, the mother is not unaware of what is happening. People are also more sensitive to the uh, to their own image in middle-class areas. Uh, it would mean that uh, deterioration in their uh, standards of living. So all in all, uh, there are times when uh, these things may possibly be overriding factors in the concealment of sexual abuse. Staffing hasn't really changed because child abuse has come out in the open. We find at the moment that we are going out and investigating it. But we need to refer it on to other agencies then for treatment and assessment because we just don't have the resources ourselves. Well, it can be very frustrating having investigated a case where there is a need for an assessment to take place immediately. You've got waiting lists of at least two to six weeks in the assessment unit. Um, the assessment unit, I mean, that in itself is very traumatic for a child to redisclose if, it's, if it has disclosed ten or five times already to different people, been given different opinions and advices, etc. Often they can fall between two stools there and then sometimes the decision is, oh, we're okay now, we don't need to go to anywhere. And that's, you know, in an offered case, that the, following the assessment, the treatment should be immediate. At the moment, uh, child sex abuse is taken as a, a crisis intervention service, whereas I feel there's a lot more should be done by way of uh, continuing the case through as far as uh, support for uh, the uh, child and his or her family are concerned. We close cases uh, far too soon. From experience, you'll find that the same case comes back to you again and again and again at a later date and probably in a more acute form. In later life, uh, if these victims are not given the uh, concern and the help and assistance which they deserve, they will become financial liabilities on the state in other fashions. Uh, they will uh, 
come in contact with uh, maybe psychiatric services. And this, I think, is, is obvious from all sorts of surveys done on um, children who have suffered abuse, becoming teenagers in trouble, uh, young uh, adults uh, who are drugging, prostitution, alcoholism, uh, self-destructive behaviour of all, of all kinds. The pain of it all. I was running all my life. I was running to drink. I was running to people that abused me all my life. I was running to people that treated me bad. I was running all the time because I couldn't face it. I'm just very lucky because I could have been coming on to drugs. Andrew Honeyman is a senior clinical psychologist with the Rutland Centre. Well, the treatment programme here is a residential programme for alcohol, drug and gambling dependency, which mainly involves group therapy as a form of treatment. In terms of uh, our own figures, uh, nearly one in three would suffer from some kind of would have suffered from some kind of parental aggression. That's physical aggression towards them um, as a child. Uh, certainly, sexual abuse is something that we uh, encounter not infrequently. Uh, overall, nearly one in five of the people we treat would have suffered some form of sexual abuse, and it's something we have to deal with in treatment. For example, people that we've treated over the years um, have wasted uh, industry uh, and employers' time uh, and indeed state money and therefore uh, early intervention programmes would be in the long run very cost effective. Multiple abuse is more or less very well known in the board. It's very important to realise that a child in our books, in the help board's books, who is 16 or under and who has become known as an alleged perpetrator in the community. More often than not, we have discovered that these children have been in themselves sexually abused. The sooner he's stopped, the better. What happens when they are abusing is that something sparks off their anger, their wish to externalise the hurt by imposing it on somebody else. Once somebody abuses once, they're more than likely they'll abuse more than once. We ran a group in this area for mothers whose children were victims of sexual abuse. One of the things that was discovered as the group ran on was that four of the six mothers in themselves had been sexually abused as children. And the group was run to help them in their way of coping with their child's uh, issues that had come up for them as a result of their abuse. And also following that, in addition to the group, was helping the mothers around their own abuse. I suppose one of the things that we have you know, experienced as workers in the field is that if the legal system and the legal thinking was changed and brought up much more up-to-date, the children would have much more of a chance in relation to being heard and being protected by the courts. Two years, some people go, what's two years? You've been a lifetime. And in the prisons, let them be getting counselling for what they've done to people, to show them how much they hurt us. And if that was done, maybe, maybe it'd be a better place to be living in and a lot safer. Well, my own personal feeling is that there isn't such a thing as a sentence that would fit a crime like that. Breda Allen is the solicitor to the Rape Crisis Centre. Any parents who are looking for legal advice would be referred to me if they didn't have another solicitor in mind. The very I've, I haven't been involved in any criminal cases of child sexual abuse for the simple reason that, like all other victims, 
the child is not entitled to independent legal representation. If the, um, if the case goes to court, if it's prosecuted by the guardee, the child will be represented by a solicitor and a barrister from the Chief State Solicitor's Office, and she won't have any choice in that matter. Well, the problem is that all, all proposed charges of a sexual nature have to go to the DPP's office for consideration before, before any summonses are issued. Now, number one, the DPP's office is understaffed and it takes a long time for them to arrive at a decision. Now, if you're talking about the criminal courts, the way they would be dealt with there is they can give evidence, but a child under seven cannot take the oath and an unsworn statement must have corroborating evidence. As far as I know, in most cases of child sexual abuse where the child is very young, say three, four, five years old, the most usual form of sexual abuse at that age is either just touching the child or oral, forced oral sex. And of course, once the child takes a drink of water after that, there's no forensic evidence to be found. At the moment, the uh, evidence of psychiatrists and psychologists wouldn't be really acceptable in a criminal court unless there was some physical evidence with the child. I feel that children, even of 10 years old, who are old enough to understand the oath, might be very loath, or their mother might be very loath, to allow them to go through a very robust cross-examination where the child is, is told, essentially that they're lying, that they're making up whatever they're saying. It's a very strong 10 or 11-year-old who'll stand up to that in court. That's one thing that should be changed. The second um, change that would be very important is, just like rape victims, I believe that victims of all kind of abuse and assault should be entitled to have their own legal representative in court and play a part in the proceedings they can't suggest, well, you should call my doctor or you should call my brother or whatever, whereas the accused person will be entitled to call whoever he thinks would be good for his defence. It does appear that while certainly I would believe in the maxim innocent until proven guilty, and that's the way our law goes, it still means that the victim is at a dreadful disadvantage in that they just go into court as a witness and then there might be nobody else called to back them up. My guess would be that at least 80% of cases for consideration involving child sexual abuse never go to court. There has been much speculation about the 1988 childcare bill which is now under consideration in the Shannad. Everybody who's involved with children is welcomes the new child care bill, the proposed bill. I feel that the government haven't given it much priority. It's 1908 is our last Children's Act. The 1908 bill uh, is in many ways restricted by the Constitution, which doesn't pay a terrible lot of attention to children, children's own specific rights. The new bill is still written and will be uh, administered within the confines of the same constitution. I, I imagine there would be some necessity to slant the constitution in a manner which, uh, in essence, cherishes children as equal partners to adults as far as, far as human rights are concerned. 
Well, in fact, what the new child care bill will seek to do will be to increase the powers for health boards. Now, any case of suspected child sexual abuse or any other kind of child abuse should be reported to the health board. I hope that uh, in time money comes on stream to give these statistics the, uh, the funding which they merit. And uh, in the final analysis, we're not talking about statistics. We're talking about vulnerable human beings. The Act is only as good as its resources. The resources are not there with the Act. It's nothing more than a piece of paper. Kieran McGrath is a senior social worker in a child sexual abuse assessment centre and he is also the spokesperson for the Irish Association of Social Workers. Just recently I was reading a poem by a child and she's talking about her experience of going through the system um, and she's sort of saying to people, um, you know, I asked you uh, for protection. You gave me a social worker, a social worker who couldn't remember my name and kept calling me honey. You know, I asked you to... Uh, believe me and you made me talk to 15 other people um, and she goes on in that vein and okay so she's exaggerating and so she hasn't got a full grasp of the situation but she's largely representing the experience that a lot of children have when they go through the system because they're, they're, they're in one nightmare and their uh, experience is uh, of care uh, or the best we can offer them maybe another nightmare I think um, you'd have to start talking about training people properly, training teachers differently, training um, all sorts of people in the, the health professionals differently. You'd have to educate people as they go to school very differently. You'd actually be talking about transforming society. Um, one small idea that really has never been tried here is the idea of a National Children's Council, where you would bring all the voluntary bodies and the statutory bodies together under one umbrella organisation, in the same way, for example, that we have a council for the status of women. You know, why not a council for the status of children or a national children's council or something like that, where you have all these diverse bodies coming, f focusing on children's needs, um, a forum for discussion, a vehicle to do research, because we've very little proper research done here, um, where people share ideas, where they get to talk to each other, because... You know, everybody does their own little job in their own little way, and we have islands within islands uh, um, where uh, you have people working in education who don't know people working in health, and you have people working in justice that really have very little day-to-day -day contact with other people. So you have all these kind of um, diverse groups working all beavering away, doing their own thing. So um, we've had a very, very thorough study of a large sample um, with a widespread of, of cases. And you hear all sorts of figures being thrown around in relation to, to sexual abuse in particular from other countries and even here in Ireland. Um, but you can't rely on those until somebody has gone down and done very, very thorough study of them. And this um, uh, research was actually like that. And it, I think, confirmed some of the things we suspected already. It had some surprises in it. Um, but it certainly managed to explode some of the myths in relation to sexual abuse. Even quite recently, I had a, a man who should know better say, uh, but that doesn't happen to middle-class families, does it? That only happens to poor people. Um, and we used to say it only happens with strangers, you know, or it only happens to uh, precocious teenage girls. We now know that the average age of girls to be abused is nine and boys at seven. 
You took my life, my childhood, my memories and my mind. You used me, hurt me, scared me, scarred me. Why? Who are you? I feel your hands all over me. Your body is big, forceful and looming. The room is dark, empty, quiet, except for the squeak of the floorboards. Who the hell are you? Where is your face? My blankets don't hide me. Why are you inside me? I'm a child. I was innocent, clean and pure. What are you doing? Leave me alone. Get your hands away from me. Keep your manly possessions hidden from me. I'm too young. Just imagine what it's like to shiver and to freeze every time someone touches you. Go away! I don't care who you are. You're a man. The child isn't tied to an awful lot of support, not just from the family, but from society generally. We really all, as adults, collectively have a responsibility for all children. I'm, I'm not sure that those who would be in a position to fund or provide better services um, know and don't care. I think that they have stopped themselves from knowing because it is so awful. But I think that the services, nevertheless, are pretty pathetic. I think that children have very few places to go. Uh, I think that there are few enough adults prepared to listen, uh, fewer again who are prepared to believe what people are doing to people, and in, in particular what they are doing to the most vulnerable people in our society. The more we talk about it, the more we are able to tackle it up front and do something about it. You can't do anything about a problem unless you have accepted that a problem exists. Don't sit down and think of it because the fear that was in you as a child will come up and won't let you go for help. Just pick up a phone and dial Childline, dial counselling, just dial and just take a deep breath and really try and say, I need help because that's all that will get get you back to being happy again. that's everything for the future for me that I have no more pain when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year 100,000 mile limited warranty you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner Kia, movement that inspires Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.